0: What's up, everyone? I am Kerry Robinson. I'm flying solo again today. My wife keeps abandoning me for these podcasts. But today we're talking about can you lose your salvation? Is your eternity secure or is it not? If you sin enough, do you die and go to the pit of hell? Or can you sin all you want as long as you've been saved by grace and you gonna live? We're talking about all that today on this episode, episode eight of MC Unpacked. All right, we have been taking the last few episodes and a few episodes to come to unpack what we call a paradox of terms, you know, things that we believe as a church. By the way, my wife and I pastor the greatest church on the planet, the Movement Church in beautiful Orange County in Southern California. If you're in the area, come see us. If not, make sure you're plugged into a life-giving church. It is the greatest thing you can do. If you need help finding a church, let us know. We'll help you find a great church in your area. But what we wanted to do is help people who are new and attending and visiting our church to get a little like check under the hood if you will a little scratch and sniff of who we are and what it is that we believe without having to walk through our statement of faith every Sunday and so we wrote a movement manifesto which really kind of unpacks what we live for and what we die for but we also wrote down some paragraphs that really kind of tie into our theology and and where we're headed and and what it is that we believe and so we've been unpacking these paradox of terms if you will over the past few episodes and we'll continue to do so. In previous episodes we talked about uh what it means to rest as a believer. Uh can a Christian drink alcohol? Uh in episodes to come we're going to talk about continuationism versus secessionist. Uh are the gifts of the spirit for today? In future episodes we're talking about are women allowed to be pastors in church can can they preach or do we need to keep them silent and on the front row or even better behind a wall you have no clue what we believe but stay tuned so today we're unpacking this paradox of terms that says this we are spirit-filled reformed baptists with women in ministry i'm just kind of giving you a little insight as to who we are and where we've come from The scripture is pretty clear. It's the grace of God which leads to salvation, not the belief in whether or not our eternity is secure. We empower people to walk in the fullness of their calling. We try not to limit it to Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, man or woman. And on that note, if the gifts of the spirit have succeeded with the apostles, so has knowledge, and we think you are pretty smart. So today, we figured we'd take a few moments, maybe 32 to be exact, and unpack what the difference is between Calvinists and Arminius and what does that mean and what does it have to do with you and me today and does it even matter and and so I want to kind of just dive into this theology if I can and, and let me give you the the disclaimer uh first disclaimer I don't profess to be or claim arrogantly to be a theologian uh, that's just not my greatest gift mix but I do have a understanding of these things and I want to take a moment and unpack kind of the the insight and how these different theologies were arrived at and how we got there and and then hopefully it'll help you in your journey of faith and it'll help you in your relationship with the lord but let's kind of go back and rewind the clock jesus lives a sinless life he dies he's buried he is risen from the dead he saves all of humanity he ascends to the right hand of the father It says, I must send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples in Acts chapter two and Peter in this fit of passion and excitement uh, goes out and he preaches the first message ever recorded for the New Testament church and the church is birthed. Now, this is over 2000 years ago and ever since then, as a church, we've been advancing the gospel, telling people about the good news of Jesus while growing in our faith. And in growing in our faith, we're taking the book that God has given us, the Bible, and we're doing all that we can to understand his nature for us. And in that, as we begin to read and dive in and study, we're not asking what the Bible means, we're asking the question, what did the original author mean when he wrote this to the original crowd? What was the context of this scripture? What is happening? And as a result, you have various people throughout the course of 2,000 years who have various opinions and it impacts how we believe and think today. And so in the beginning of the church, in the first three centuries of the church, there were some big topics that church leaders and and amazing men and women of God were wrestling through. They would develop councils and meet, like the Council of Nicene and the Council of Valencia, and they would meet and they would talk about and wrestle through, what does the scripture say about this or that? And they weren't concerned about who was right. They were concerned about what the truth was. And some of those topics were the Trinity. We have one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, yet one being. And there are entire scores of denominations who don't believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity, but they wrestled these ideas out. And how could this be? Another chief argument in the early church days was the, the, the deity of Jesus, the two natures of Christ. He was both fully God and fully man how is this possible and so as the years progressed these topics kept emerging and and then there would be times where entire councils would say this is what we firmly believe 200 bishops would gather with a great understanding of scripture and say this is what we believe and one of those such topics was on the the topic of predestination and, and, and in this conversation, some of the leading people talking about this were St. Augustine or Augustine and Pelagius, and, and they had differencing, different views, and, and Augustine would be one that we would lean towards as a church, that I would lean towards theologically, and, and, and he read through the scripture and believed wholeheartedly in predestination. Now, what that means is that we were predestined, that God foreknew who we would be, what choices we would make, and whether or not we would choose to accept or reject salvation that came through Christ. Now, there's a basis and a foundation for this, and and one of these is what Augustine was uh, a crucial in, in, in helping us understand is prevenient grace. This is grace that we received prior to salvation because the scripture says that no one comes unto the Father except through Jesus, that that it is God who first draws us. And so Augustine said in order for us to be saved, God would have to extend his grace to us prior to salvation. And we see all throughout scripture in the Old and the New Testament where God is hand-picking people. God hand-chose Abraham from all other men on the planet for no apparent reason other than he chose Abraham. God chose Jacob over Esau. After the Tower of Babel, God chose the tribe of Israel over all other tribes. The Bible says, Jesus said in John, you did not choose me, I chose you. Before his ministry began, he hand-selected 12 disciples. So we see God electing or choosing people all throughout scripture. And then Paul gives this election, a term called predestination. And we read about this term in Romans chapter eight. And this is the foundational scripture when it comes to the point of predestination. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this, and we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. So it's saying, Paul is saying, he chose, he foreknew and predestined that there would be people who are saved verse 30 says and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified now augustine is the one who came up with the concept of prevenient grace that god gives us grace before we accept salvation and receive salvation through grace well a few hundred years pass i believe about 250 to be exact And a man named Calvin comes on the scene in the mid uh, 550, I think I could be off. So fact checkers go do your job, but you get the idea. And Calvin begins to explore Augustine's principles and doctrine and theology and he really arrives at and lands on some very crucial theology uh, by surrounding predestination surrounding words like the erect and the full the erect not the erect the elect (laughs) that's a different theology a little little laughter to bring some levity we'll bring it on back now Uh, the elect predestination for knowledge. I mean, there's so many different terms. And he began to write and teach this theology and that is where we get Calvinism, which is a major camp of theology in the Protestant church in the world today. And uh, the way that things work, there usually are multiple camps that emerge. So you might have Catholics Then you'll have Calvinists, and then you'll have different offshoots, and we'll talk about the third category, which would be Arminians, and they derive from a man named Arminius. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Calvin began to unpack his theology based on Augustinian principles of predestination, and he firmly believed in the election of the saints that God foreknew, and he chose who would be saved. And this is challenging because what happens is as we explore this, it is impossible not to arrive at the conclusion of double predestination. In other words, if God hand-selected in all of humanity through the course of time who would be saved before they were born, then that means by default, God hand-selected who would not be saved and sentenced to an eternity in hell. Now this raises so many challenging questions. Does that align with the nature of God? Is that what God wants for humanity? Does God say, I love people not based upon merit, just because he chooses some over others. So this is not about what we do in life. This is before we were even born. God chooses some to go to heaven, and by default and consequence, he chooses others to go to hell. So Calvin wrote many things regarding predestination, and the election of the saints, and the sovereignty of God, and the free will of humanity. But he also was very clever and very wise in one regard beyond theology, he determined he would not arrive at a hypothesis or at a theology if he could not back it by scripture. So there were things that Calvin would teach but there were also things where questions were, would arise. So Calvin clearly communicated in some of his early writings that he did not believe in double predestination. He did believe that God foreknew, because Paul said that, Jesus said that, I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So he clearly believed that God foreknew humanity and who would be saved, and that we were predestined, but he also did not believe in double predestination. So Calvin himself did not believe that God handpicked people to go to hell. And this is challenging, because we want resolute, finite answers, but Calvin didn't offer any. He said, clearly, I don't have the answers to this. This is the mystery of the gospel. So where there is a question, we will trust divine wisdom and insight. We will trust that on the other side of eternity, we will gain the answers. But as for now, we will not make a definitive decision because we just don't know. Well, Calvin started a seminary and he passed away and he transitioned or he handed over his seminary to his son-in-law, Beza. And uh, Beza came in and was really kind of hell-bent, if you will. He, he wanted to help bring a system to Calvin's beliefs. He wanted to bring a clear definition as to what it was that Calvin believed and what he thought and what, how everything worked in the scripture, but also at this time, uh, rationalism is coming on the scene, and we're now in the, in the kind of the beginning stages of the medieval era, and, 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 and so the, rationalism is coming back on, that we are rational beings and given a rational mind, so therefore, we probably can arrive rationally at what the scripture means, and, and the problem with rationalism is it is fully fueled by Greek philosophy, And and as we all know, the three chief Greek philosophers are Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. So now you have a second generation removed from Calvin, Beza, his son-in-law, who's using rationalism and Greek philosophy to weigh and to interpret scripture. And we don't do that. We don't take our current culture. We don't take what people outside of the scripture say. The best interpretation of scripture is scripture itself even if that means we don't always have clear, definitive answers. That's okay, because we trust the divine sovereignty of who God is. So Beza comes in and starts filling in the blanks that Calvin left empty. He starts systematizing Calvinism. And he starts really drilling down on some things and, and all based on this rationalism that, that really is, is, is it's almost true, but not quite true. And, and then Beza had an understudy who attended the seminary, and that understudy's name was Arminius. So Jacob Arminius, he enrolls in the school under Beza. And he does not like what he is seeing Beza begin to teach. And he fundamentally rejects that theology. He, he felt, I'm going to bring the church back to the Augustinian view. And the problem is Arminius fell into the same trap that Beza did. He began to use rationality. And the biggest crux, the frustration for him, was this whole concept of double predestination that if God chooses who goes to heaven, he's also choosing who is going to hell. And so then Arminius begins to develop a system, a theology based on categories of Greek philosophy and rationalism rather than biblical exegesis. In other words, using scripture to interpret scripture. And he began to believe that God didn't predestine uh, an individual, but God predestined classes of people. In other words, there are people who accepted salvation and were saved and there are people who rejected it and they go to hell. So here's the challenge with this. As they began to explore the scripture and understand what what is God's heart, that they just decided that that it would never be God's will to damn someone intentionally to hell because God has given us A free will but as they explored this the rationality they removed the prevenient grace component and said that we did not need that God might give us prevenient grace but we have free will to choose to accept or reject salvation which I agree with that we have free will we line up with that theologically The problem is when it is only based on our free will, we no longer need the grace of God for salvation. It is about how we respond and what we do. So while it had its basis in a theologically sound principle, it led to the slippery slope of works-based faith. This infiltrated the Catholic Church. This is the fundamental belief system that led to the Catholic Church charging people for uh, penance and for uh, uh, getting into eternity and, you know, do a certain number of Hail Marys. And there are things that you do. You have to be a member of the Catholic Church in order to receive salvation. So now we have these two opposing theological viewpoints. And to this day, The entire uh, 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 Protestant church in the world is hinged and separated into one of these two camps or a subsequent offshoot. And as years have progressed, people have added to, diluted, or taken away, and we have entire churches whose theological faith system is based on something that is not fully scripture but it is close to Scripture. And the word heresy in the Greek actually derives from the Greek word part, because it's partially truth, but not fully true. And so I want to just take a moment to you and unpack some of the tenets of Calvinism. The the chief tenet of an Arminian view would be that we have free will, that God's grace draws us, but god's grace draws everyone and then we get to choose whether we accept or reject salvation and i agree with that the movement church aligns with that wholeheartedly but that we have to work to save and maintain our salvation, which means we can lose our salvation if we're in the fit of just some horrible debauchery and sin and die instantly. If we died in our sin, we would be damned to hell. I don't align with that theologically. And then on the other hand, you have Calvinism, and hardcore Calvinism would suggest that there is an election of the saints. We are all predestined. God has already decided those who will go to heaven and those who will go to hell. And so in that case, there's no real need for evangelism. There's no real need to advance the gospel. When Jesus said, go and preach the gospel and make disciples, do we need to if God has already predetermined? So when we look at the road and the journey of faith, for every mile of road, there are two miles of ditches. And what I have found is that we don't have to fully jump into one ditch or the other. So what I want to do is take a moment and just unpack a few tenets of Calvinism. And and then I want to unpack some great and beautiful thoughts from a theologian whom I admire, I, I study, and his name is Gabriel Finocchio, and he really kind of unpacked Calvinism, and then he kind of, he shared some of his thoughts and beliefs based upon his study, and, and this would be not something I would recommend you land on fully as a theology, because just like Calvin said, there are things that are a mystery in the gospel, and we don't have to fill in the blanks because we are not the, we are not god we are not divine he is divine and he is the one who has the answers and there will be a day in eternity where we'll understand but until that day we are satisfied to trust god in the mystery so there's what's called the the calvinist tulip and it's an acronym T-U-L-I-P, and these are kind of the, the tenets of Calvinism. And, and let me read these to you. And, and you might have been raised in a church where this would have been uh, your, your primary faith system. So the U, I'm sorry, the T for TULIP stands for total depravity. And that means that sinfulness pervades all areas of life and human existence. Through the fall of man, humanity is stained by sin in every aspect, heart, emotions, will, mind, and body. And this means that people cannot independently choose God. They cannot save themselves. God must intervene and save people. I wholeheartedly agree and align with this, that we were born with a sin nature. Adam was born, the only human born that, not, not God and man, Jesus, and he, he's in a different category. Adam was born with the ability to choose not to sin. You and I were born with a sin nature. We are the descendants of Adam. We weren't given that option. And we we need God's grace for salvation. And we know that we can't even come to God unless he has first prepared our hearts. It is his grace and his mercy extended to us where we experience the fullness that he has for us. First corinthians says but by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace toward me was not in vain on the contrary i work harder than any of them though it was not i but the grace of god that was within me but here is a, a, an a, another side to this i love how gabriel finocchio calls it not total depravity but total injury that man's original dignity was injured by the fall injured but not incapacitated because you and i can respond to god but only after god has revealed himself to us maybe you were in a church service and you heard someone preaching or you're listening to a podcast and they begin to share something and all of a sudden you just felt god doing something you might not even been able to explain what it was but you had an openness to what was happening and they challenge you to surrender your life to jesus and you did that was god's grace extended to you before you received salvation. And the reason is man is capable of, of moral degrees without virtue of Christ. In other words, we can be good without Jesus. We can uh, be, have integrity. We can not cheat on our taxes. We can not lie and not steal. There are moral virtues that we can have that are good without Jesus, but none of those moral virtues pay the consequence for our sin. And that's the thing, God is a just God. And if he is just, then there must be a consequence for sin, which means a payment must be made. But Jesus was the divine atonement. He is the ransom or the scripture calls it the propitiation. He received our wrath that we deserve from God. He received that on our behalf and now we can be justified through Christ. So he justifies our fallen nature, but only if we believe. So T is total depravity. U is the unconditional election. So this is Calvinism. This is the tulip. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a contrast here. The, the, the Calvin Tulip, and then I'm giving you and suggesting Gabriel Finocchio's response to that, which I, I feel is, is brilliant. I don't agree with all of it, but let me show you what that is. So you, unconditional election, God chooses who will be saved. Because people are dead in their sins, they are unable to initiate a response to God. In eternity past, God elected certain people to be saved, The saved people are called the elect. God picks them based not on their personal character or merit, but out of his kindness and sovereign will. It also means that election for salvation is not based on God's foreknowledge of who would become, who would come to faith in the future. And since some are chosen for salvation, others are not. And those not chosen are damned, destined to an eternity in hell. This is Calvinism the unconditional election. Now, I can read to you scripture after scripture, Jesus saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. God handpicking Abraham, handpicking Jacob, handpicking Isaac over Ishmael, Abraham's son, handpicking the children of Israel. We see God choosing, handpicking, we see the election of people taking place in scripture. So I do believe in an election that does take place. at at, at a micro level, but personally, I do not believe that God handpicked certain people to go to hell. I do believe that God has given us a free will. I believe there are some people that he has chosen that will be destined to go to heaven, and he has aligned the stars, if you will, and they will experience that, and there are others who they have to choose him The scripture said, Jesus said, many are called. He puts the call out to humanity, but a few are chosen. But we have to align this with the nature of God. We read in 1 Timothy that it says this, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we weigh scripture against scripture. God predestined and desires all to be saved we read in uh let's see i believe it's ezekiel 33 this is god speaking say to them as i live declares the lord god i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn back turn back from your evil ways for why will you die o house of israel god's desire is for our repentance so we definitely cannot believe in a double predestination that god only picks people to be saved and picks people to also go to hell. We do believe in predestination that God handpicks people, but also puts the call out to all humanity. He's pleading for repentance. We see stories in the scripture that God refers to himself as the potter, and we are the clay. Well, no potter would create clay only to destroy it. He he has a desire that we all, in fact, the Bible says that God is not slow as some would count it slowness, but he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, not just the elect, not just those that are saved. And you're going, well, Pastor Kerry, how do we reconcile? When Paul said There are some have been predestined. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. When Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You're right, that's an answer I don't have. It's the mystery of the gospel. And I choose not to jump into either ditch, but to believe that God in his sovereignty, in his omnipotence, his omniscience, that he handpicks some and keeps the door wide open for any who would repent and believe. I know this is challenging, but it is equally damaging if you jump into one ditch over the other. To jump fully into the ditch of Calvinism is to suggest that double predestination is exactly God's heart for humanity, that he chooses who will go to hell. And I'm sorry that doesn't align with his nature. The Bible says that there is no darkness in him. There is no darkness in him. In fact, God's goodness surpasses his sovereignty. We can't reverse the order that he is first good and faithful and holy and just, and then he is sovereign. So we can't reverse the nature of God to fit into our theology, but we also cannot say that it is merely the free will of God and we no longer need grace once we have chosen. The Arminius view went so far to suggest years after Arminius had already passed, but his disciples decades and centuries later actually centuries later actually suggested that Jesus did not die for the sins of humanity but they he died as a as a sign of being a moral and righteous person as an example to you and I this is the problem with jumping into either ditch let's dive back into the calvin tulip we've talked about total depravity and then suggested an alternative of total injury. That that yes, we are injured, but we are not incapacitated, and we can choose to to we can choose to follow God, and we can still be good. But we can never be saved without Him. Uh, we talked about the you, the unconditional election, and, and, and Gabe's, uh, Finocchio's response is unconditional love, that God is love. He cannot stop being love uh, be, because his being is eternal, and therefore he desires the good of all his cre- creation. Like I said, love precedes election. God, God's desire is to save all people. The L in the Calvin tulip is limited atonement. And and this one I struggle with hardcore. And and this suggests that Jesus died only for the sins of the elect. So this is a slippery slope. It's jumping into a theological ditch, if you will. And I love Gabe's response is limited response. In other words, there are those who freely choose to reject the mercy of God until death. They will be rejected by the justice of God. God says, hey, uh, you, I rejected you because you first rejected me. I mean, think about the story of the rich young ruler who who went to Jesus and began to speak with him. And and Jesus perceived his heart. The rich young man said, what must I do to receive eternal eternity and and receive salvation? And he says, follow the 10 commandments. And the young man said, I've done all of these to the best of my ability. And Jesus perceived his heart. And he said, then the next step for you is to sell all that you have and come follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler hung his head. He was sad, felt shame, and he walked away. He rejected Jesus. And notice Jesus doesn't go running after him. He doesn't go, wait, 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 come back, come back. Listen, trust me, trust me. You, you wanna get in on this brother. You, you, listen, you, you are heading in the wrong direction. No, he rejected Jesus. And that, that is a challenge. So I don't believe in the limited atonement, but I do believe that we can choose to reject God. We can choose to reject his salvation plan for us. And if we do that, the respo- God's response is justice. There must be a penalty. If he is a just God, not just merciful, not just gracious, but just, he cannot lie. If he is a just God, then there must be consequences for sin. And Jesus is the atonement for all humanity who chooses to believe. So we've talked about the total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, and we talked about Gabe Finocchio's response of total injury, unconditional love, limited response. Let's talk about the L in the Calvin Tulip, and that stands for irresistible grace that God brings his elect to salvation through an eternal call, which they are powerless to resist. The Holy Spirit supplies grace to them until they repent and are born again. And I love Gabe Finocchio's response, and that is not irresistible grace, but interactive grace. Those who freely accept the gift of faith in Christ through repentance and baptism are born again by sanctifying grace but still, sin still abounds. So we still have sin in our life, which means we have a dependency on the Holy Spirit. He is necessary, but there's now a cooperative relationship with God. I cooperate with him by being obedient to his word and to his nature. He's cooperating with me by, by bringing grace and mercy and together we accomplish his will on this earth remember Jesus said I'm going to establish my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so there is something an interactive grace that takes place sin is still very much at work in my life and I've got to surrender to that daily I've got to hold of the hope of my salvation I got to believe that God's plan for me is better than my plan for me and in that process he extends peace and mercy and blessings, anytime God gives us a promise, our obedience precedes his blessings. We have to believe that, it's all throughout scripture. Then we look finally at the P of tulip, the Calvin tulip, perseverance of the saints. And this is the idea that the elect cannot lose their salvation, because salvation is the work of God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Savior, and the Holy Spirit. It cannot be thwarted none whom God will called will be lost, they are all eternally secure. Listen to this, if it is God who perseveres, not the saints themselves, Calvin's doctrine of perseverance of the saints is in contrast to the theology of Lutheran and the Roman Catholic Church, which holds that people can actually lose their salvation. So when it comes to this P the, of the the word tulip and in, in Calvin's theology, I align wholeheartedly. I believe that if God in his infinite wisdom loved me enough that he said, Carrie, your sin is disgusting and there's a consequence for this and it is an eternity in hell, but I love you so much that I'm going to send my son Jesus to be the propitiation, the atonement for your sin. He's going to pay the price and all you have to do is choose not to reject me, but choose to accept me. And if you do that, Carrie, your your eternity is with me. And I believe, it, it, as who I am, I, I choose not to fall into either of these ditches. For me, it's a middle ground. I believe that when you are, if, if I can't earn his salvation, in other words, if all I have to do is believe, I don't have to get rid of my sin. I don't have to pray a certain number of prayers. I don't have to give a certain amount in the offering. I don't have to attend church a certain number of times. I don't have to be a certain volunteer. I don't have to have a family lineage of Christians going back decades, centuries, and millennia, if all I have to do is believe, then nothing can take that salvation from me. So I wholeheartedly align with this. And I personally reject the theology that one can lose their salvation. That to me is a works-based faith. If I can lose my salvation, then that means that I did something, something to earn it in the first place. And so I, I would suggest that you can't lose your salvation. You, you don't have to agree. It's okay. But I would suggest that. But here's the caveat. I think the problem is that we, we struggle with this notion of, first of all, Do I build theology based upon what people have believed and been wrestling with for hundreds of years and thousands of years? Well, I definitely think it should weigh into every decision that you make because we look to and lean to the wisdom of these church fathers who spent countless thousands of hours studying over the scripture and wrestled with these ideas with hundreds of other godly men and women to see God, what is your heart for humanity? And we allow that to paint the canvas of our faith but we look at the scripture and we allow it to be the defining factor. And we just go, okay, I know that God chooses some people and I know that God opens the door to all who believe. So anyone can come to the door. The Bible says wide is the great and broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path and narrow is the gate that leads to life eternally, but there's still a gate. There's still a door. That is the heart of God. So I can boldly say that salvation is not just for the elect, but for all who would believe. And I can also boldly say that if I can't earn my salvation, then I can't lose my salvation. And I can simultaneously boldly say that if I've accepted the grace and the mercy of Jesus, then I have got no right and no business to live like hell the rest of my life. I've got no right and no business to receive unmerited grace and favor and yet spit in the face of a loving God by behaving contrary to his word and his nature for me. I've got no business to live my life in, in any other way than total, complete surrender to him. So to say that I believe that I can't lose my salvation is not to say I can live how I want to live. And to say that I believe in free will is not to say I don't believe in predestination. So I wanna challenge you in this journey to try to stay out of the ditch. Try not to fill in the gaps where scripture doesn't fill in the gaps, but let it be a mystery because what we can stand firm on is the fact that God is our creator, that we are objects of his holy love created in his image, that the problem with humanity is sin, that all of us are in need of a Savior, and he's given us a Savior called Jesus, and then he unites us into a family called the body of Christ, and we are now search engines looking for people who need to know the hope of who Jesus is until the day that we pass from this life into the next, and we experience eternity in heaven, where we are worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords like the scripture says, saying, glory to God in the highest on earth and peace and good will to men. Holy, holy, holy is the lamb that was slain. Listen, there will be a day we stand in eternity and we worship the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords with everything that we have. It'll be the greatest day and experience of our life. But until then, let's just obediently serve. Let's surrender daily. Let's reach those who are lost and hurting and broken. And let's be grateful for grace that God has bestowed to us. Amen. Man, I'm so glad you tuned in. Let us know if you have any questions or you disagree. You tell us. Shoot us an email, pastor at the OC Movement. I'd love to hear more, but do me a favor. Take a moment right now. Like, subscribe. And then do, just share this with somebody. Somebody needs to hear this. And, and stay tuned because we're coming at you with some more content right here at MC Unpacked.